some emails that went out from me um, and uh, reached many of you. Um, we got hacked this week, and uh, somebody got into our, our contact list and um, decided to pose as me and send a couple of emails out to people in this church. And um, honestly, it was an incredibly frustrating time, uh, especially on Friday for me, but it carried on over the last couple of days for the office. And um, it, was, it was not good, and it's not the first time that it's happened. It won't be the last time, I'm sure. So I want to clarify just a couple of things that hopefully will help stop anything from happening as a result of these things in the future, okay? Um, so the first one that went out to some of you was um, this message that, that I sent out saying, I need, to, I need you to call me as soon as I can. We need to talk about something discreetly. Okay, so can I clarify this? I will never do that to you. I won't. I, you know how much I hate it when someone says, we need to talk, right? That's like the worst possible setup that you can have, right? That's that kind of thing. I will not email you and give you the we need to talk line. If I need to talk to you, I'll call you. But we're not doing it that way. So if something like that were to come from me again, Disregard, cancel it, um, I will not be slighted if that's actually what I did, but it's not going to be what I do. So please do not respond to those things. This was somebody that, um, that used a fake email address and, and pretended to be me. And the second one that went out that I'm aware of, and there may be more, had to do with gift cards. And my request that you immediately go and buy some gift cards to help me out with some people that I'm trying to help out. So let me clarify that. Um, we have at this church a system by which if we needed to do that, I could just do it. I would not need to email people and say, will you please buy gift cards for me, okay? So my apologies if you bit on either of those things or if they caused you any kind of stress at all. It was a very unfortunate thing that happened and um, we'll do our best to make sure it doesn't happen again. But that is not how I operate. And some of you got that. Some of you contacted me right away and said, I know this isn't you. This doesn't sound like you at all. Because it wasn't. And uh, that isn't how I operate. So my apologies for the confusion that it caused this weekend. Um, we're doing all that we can to, um, to resolve this issue. All right. Um, one thing I do want to do also before I get into the message this morning is just pause and pray for Stephen Bradley and the No Longer Music team. Um, one of the details that's in there is the reality that they're going to be in Mexico proclaiming the gospel on the Day of the Dead. And this is a very significant thing. And so we do need to just pray over them that God will provide those opportunities for them and then cover them um, with his protection. So let's pray together. Father, I do thank you for the, the many partnerships that we have as a church with organizations that are all over this planet um, spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and um, for organizations like Steiger International that put themselves right in the middle of darkness and bring the light in a very powerful way. And uh, Lord, as, as they prepare to head to Mexico, I pray that you would provide absolutely everything that they need, um, that you would provide the funds, that you would provide the clearance for the events that they want to put on, um, that you would just take care of every step in getting them there and watching over them and protecting them while they're there and that we would see hundreds if not thousands of people come to Christ as a result of this tour that they're doing. What a, a tremendous opportunity this is. 
And I do lift up Stephen, and I just ask that you would take care of his wrist. Um, obviously, what he do does depends heavily on the health of that wrist. And so, God, will you heal him and prepare him for what lies ahead? Um, thank you for his openness in asking for prayer for him and for No Longer Music and for the tour. Uh, just guide us into how we can support that and how we can remember to lift them up in prayer. I just pray that this is a very, very successful tour for them and that your name is lifted up all over Mexico where they'll be and um, that we will just see the gospel go out in an incredibly powerful way. So we give that all to you in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. All right, this is week three of our series that we're calling Untangled. And I think we're on a good track together. We really do. I know that there are times in our lives when we need to bring the tangle that our life has become to God and let him guide us through the tangle and back onto the path, what I've been referring to as the ancient path. Um, I've noticed in recent years that the culture around us has stepped up their game in addressing the tangles in people's lives. Uh, there are so many more resources out there now to address the state of our minds and hearts, and among those resources are some really good ones. But what's missing in culture is the first and best resource that's available to us, and that is God. We can only get so far on our own before realizing that we can't sort it out ourselves and deep inside, I think we know that there is something beyond us, greater than us, that we should be inviting to take over the recovery process. What we looked at last week helped us remember that the path we're looking for is not the one, is not one that we design and we control. Getting back on the path is not merely a return to our preferred plan for our lives. We're looking for something else. We're looking for someone else. We're looking for that relationship that is the path. God is the plan. And that sets us apart from the culture of this world. Now recently and personally, my own tangle came as a result of the past three years and the impact that they had on me and on my family, on this church, on our community, and on much more. But these tangles take on many different forms for different people. And you're aware of your own. So last week we talked about the ancient path, the eternal life path that we share with God, enjoying his presence and all that comes with walking his path in his presence. That was a meaningful conversation for us, both from the handful of people who took their first step on that path last week to the many people who acknowledged the tangle in their own life and committed to returning to the ancient path. So go back there a week. Were you one of those people? Let's take this journey together. This morning we're going to acknowledge and confront one of the biggest obstacles on this path. This obstacle is something that can far too easily knock us off the path and steal some of, our, some of the closeness with God that we were created for. We're going to talk about our possessions and how life's things can take us out of the experience of closeness with God that we were made for. And that's why I've given this message the title, Mine. Now there's something that we need to see from way back at the beginning of our story. This is important context for us. Think, think with me. 
about the whole creation story back at the beginning of Genesis, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He speaks light into it all. He separates the water from the land, and then he fills the earth with all kinds of things. He creates plants and animals to cover the earth on the land and under the soil, in the water, in the air. And then after, after he creates all those things, God creates humans. So who did all that was created belong to before the humans showed up? It was all God's, right? And who has sustained all those created things since they were created? Well, it's God. Humans were given by God the authority to have dominion over the things God created. That does not mean that God handed over the title to every created thing to people. God has always owned the things that he created. He simply gave us dominion over them. The authority to steward them for our sustenance and well-being. Something very positive that I have to remind myself of in, in this scenario is that God set things up so that I would have dominion over the things he provided for me. Those things are not meant to have dominion over me. And I have to watch that. Part of the result of the fall of the human race is the onset of things like greed and selfishness and covetousness and pride. The presence and power of things, our possessions, awakens the mindset of greed and selfishness and covetousness and pride that makes up part of our sinful nature. Those things become a trap. They become an obstacle. Now, I'm not telling you something new here. This is not news to any of you. I'm talking about something that is ingrained in us from when we were very, very young. It starts way back here, doesn't it? We have, uh, we have drilled into us this idea of the American dream. We have to find and live the American dream. And so we have to have our dream home. And we have to have our dream car. And we have to have our dream RV. And we have to have our dream family. And we have to have our dream career. And our dream everything. We have to have our dream dog. We have to have all of these things. And they all belong to us is what we're told from the get-go. Now listen, we were wired for dominion. But sin twists that desire and that wiring into a quest for ownership. We're soon convinced that we ourselves have provided all that we have. And as we accumulate possessions, we affirm our own worth as providers. And we take the place of provider in our own lives. Even though that place is reserved for only one person. And that is obviously God. Now, there are some critical truths that we already know about our possessions. I think we can just acknowledge and affirm these truths, and then we're going to dig into this a little bit deeper. Jesus spoke to this quite clearly. He understood the value of possessions culturally and didn't hesitate to speak up on how much we value them. Maybe you're familiar with his words in Matthew 16, verse 26. 
where he says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus was coaching his followers in the art of losing your earthly cultural life so that you can find the eternal kingdom-centered life that he came to bless us with. His desire is that we find freedom from our greed and selfishness and covetousness and pride. There's a much better life beyond those things. And so Jesus spoke into that, and we get to learn from him as we study his words. Our stuff can have far too much power in our lives. God knows that, and he offers us freedom from that power. But I think we often lack some clarity on just how much power that stuff has, and that's why I've been wrestling with this all week. Um, this message has taken on multiple forms. It started out as one thing, and then I changed it because I got thinking about another thing, and I changed it again and again and again and again, and so you're getting like the seventh version of this. We are not to let our possessions become idols in our lives. I get that. That's easy to say. And I think it's almost as easy to say that truly my possessions are not idols for me. I don't worship anything I have. My house, my car, toys, whatever. I have this beat. Or do I? What if I start to see my possessions this way? What if I truly acknowledge the power that my stuff has? What if I admit to myself that my possessions have the ability to determine my focus in life? What if I admit that my possessions have the power to keep me focused on temporal, earthly things and keep me distracted from setting my mind on eternal things? Jesus told us, to set our mind on eternal things. He told a rich young man to give up his possessions because they were keeping him from setting his mind on eternal, on the eternal life, the very life that Jesus was offering. And that man had, had even asked Jesus how to get eternal life. But his possessions kept him from seeing the infinite value of eternal life in Christ. His possessions kept him from choosing eternal life. That's how much power things can have over us. Our possessions also have the power to create a separation in our perspective that can exclude us from something very, very significant in our lives. And here's what I mean by that. Far too often we slip into the trap of seeing God's kingdom as something that's coming sometime in the future. We don't know when, but it's most likely after we die. And so we live like we're merely being preserved for something that's yet to come. We think eternal life starts when we die, but we have that ticket to board the train when it comes, so we're good. We end up living the separate life now. With the concept of eternal life safely tucked away for our grave, we set out to live the best temporal, earthly life that we can now. We live in the now because eternity fits into the then category. Our possessions have a lot of power to affirm that mindset for us. We know that our possessions are temporal. 
They're not going with us into eternity. And so as we wait for eternity, we use the things that we own to create the best experience of now that we can. That's a lot of power. That power has to be taken away. And we'll get back to that in a few minutes. But first of all, um, turn to Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. And if you don't happen to have a Bible with you this morning, I forgot to do this earlier, just put your hand up and um, we'll have somebody run a Bible out to you right now. Just put it up and you can use the Bible to follow along and they're bringing them right now. Genesis chapter 22. We're going to read the first 14 verses together. So things are about to get a little bit harder here when it comes to our possessions. God has a lesson to teach us about possessions that may be a little more than just stuff. Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. This is what it says. After these things, that's the birth of Abraham's son Isaac and some time that Abraham spent sojourning with the Philistines, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And I love the way their conversation goes. This is so, <laughs> this is so not us right now. Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, remember that, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning. Pause. Don't you kind of wonder where the fight is? Why Abraham didn't just go, um, no. Right? That's my son. There is no, are you crazy? I am not doing this. Or begging, please don't make me do this, right? It's not even there. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, his father Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, try to imagine how that went, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. 
And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And this is the worst story ever. What kind of tyrant God expects us to burn our kids as a sacrifice, right? I mean, has he never had kids? Does he not realize that they are our greatest possession? Or maybe he does realize that. Maybe he wants us to accept the fact that those kids come from him and those kids belong to him. Maybe he sees that even our wonderful, perfect trophy children cannot be given enough power to distract us from the ancient path, from the relationship that we were created for, the relationship that is the path. I love Abraham's response to all this. Abraham gives that place a name. He called it, the Lord can be really mean sometimes. All right, he called that place, the Lord will provide. As the owner of every possession we like to call our own, from golf clubs to kids, from boats to boys, God is simply asking to be acknowledged as our provider. On the path, there's only him. He will provide And if we won't accept this, we're going to miss out on the kind of closeness that Abraham enjoyed with God. Out of that closeness, God led Abraham to become the father of God's people, a nation more expansive than the stars in the sky, a nation that includes you and me. God wants to be our provider. So we have to let go of the things that we call our possessions and put them in their place. I have two high school seniors in my family right now. Makes this a very relevant and timely thing for me. They're not my possessions. They belong to God. I have been given dominion over them for the past 18 years. But that doesn't mean that I own them and will do whatever I want with them. It means that God will provide as I shepherd them. It's on me to care for them in my way as an under-shepherd, but I don't own them. And so as I look at their future and what happens next year and in the decades to come, the Lord will provide. And two things have to sink deeply into my mind and heart. Number one, they're not mine. I love them and I will always love them, but they belong to God. And number two, God will provide. He is my source. He is their source. He is faithful and able. He is loving and just. And he wants me to live with him in that reality. That kind of a relationship. He wants me to have faith that he will provide for them and he will provide for me. I need to be praying and encouraging them that God is looking for the kind of closeness with them 
that allows them to see him as their provider, not me. Part of our celebration of their graduation ought to be, it ought to include renaming something, or at least naming that celebration, the Lord will provide. Whatever it is, spouse, kids, grandkids, friends, careers, homes, cars, cabins, food, all of it, it belongs to the Lord. What's left on the path at the end of the day is God and me. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, throughout the Bible, there are many indicators that God wants just us on the path with him. Blessed are the poor is a hard statement for us to wrap our heads around when getting rich is such a cultural quest for us. But here Jesus is adding, adding the descriptive term in spirit to his claim. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And the word spirit here is one that can be used interchangeably with the word soul. It's talking about the source deep within us of our thoughts and our emotions and our decision-making. As I put that together with the word poor, it led me somewhere significant. In the context of what we're talking about this morning, I'm seeing that I can't even claim ownership of my thoughts and my emotions and my decisions. They too should belong to God. And that kind of poverty, even not claiming to own my thoughts, my emotions, and my decisions, leads me straight to God to declare my dependency on him for the mind of Christ, to feel the things that he feels, and to make his ways my ways, his decisions my decisions. In a small men's group that I'm part of, I read something this week that addressed my reality. I turned 57 on Monday, and thank you, by the way, for the super encouraging welcome back slash birthday party last Sunday. Um, I do love it when we spend time together as a church family like that, so let's find more reasons to do that. Let's find someone else's birthday and welcome them back or something, but let's just do that. This is what I read and I've changed the age mentioned here to make it personal. A 57-year-old man is like a densely populated city. Nothing new can be built without something else being torn down. I want this new perspective in my life. I want to live in such closeness with God that I see him always as my provider now, not just after I die, I want desperately to stop holding on to things as if they belong to me. I want to stop saying, thinking, and acting as if the concept of mine was a real thing. I want the kind of closeness that Abraham had with God. I really, really want the kind of closeness that Jesus has with God. And incredibly, Jesus is praying that that happens for me as well. To help me get there, I want to share with you how I need to start seeing the ancient path, and I want to provide an experience for us that will hopefully help this sink in a little bit more. Let me start with perspective. This is something that has to change in my thinking. 
on the ancient path, there's me and God. I think I made that clear multiple times. That's what he created us for. God's path for us is a relational path. We were created as relational beings. That relationship, that closeness is God's desire for us. It should be my desire as well. But because we were created for a relational path, we live in relationship with everything. Yes, even our stuff. Certainly with the people in our lives. Those relationships are essential. But if those relationships with people or stuff hold that place of honor as our path, we're in trouble. Consider this. If God is my path, and that path consists solely of my relationship with him, I will pour myself into that relationship. If my path is God and... God and my marriage, my family, my house, my stuff, I will pour myself into all those things and I will give all those things equal value on the path. But God is my path. And on that path, he owns it all. He owns my marriage. He owns my family. He owns my house, my stuff. He alone holds the place of provider of all those things. And he is sufficient for all those things because they belong to him. And in that closeness with him, he will empower me, he will empower me to shepherd, to steward everything else. But that can only happen if I am in close relationship with him. Otherwise, the weight of owning it all falls on me. Quite frankly, that's a scary thought. So I want him. And just him. And I want to renounce my false sense of ownership of all the rest. And So let me give you something concrete to do with me as we wrap up our time together this morning. Uh, on your seat when you came in was a sheet of paper. You just take that out right now. Every chair had a piece of paper on it. Um, there are also a few pens in each row um, that you guys can share to, to do this. But I want to invite you to do something as we're singing our final song and just sharing our final moments here together, I want you to go through something concrete because this, I believe, really helps these kinds of things sink in for us. We have to take a step. We have to do something intentional, deliberate. We have to do something concrete sometimes that just helps us to know that this is what we really want. I don't want the desire to just escape us as we walk out the door today. I want to invite you to write down as many things as you can think of that you need to surrender ownership of. At the top of that sheet of paper is the word mine. Under that word, write down everything, everybody that you can think of that you need to renounce ownership of. And then at the bottom, I've left space for you to write out a brief prayer, just handing it all over to God. Don't put your name on this. At the end of the last song that we're going to sing together, as you leave, I want you to bring that piece of paper on your way out and bring it up to this table that's in front of the cross over here. And I want you to just lay that piece of paper on the table. Let this be a symbol 
of the exchange that takes place. Your possessions exchanged for the relationship that Jesus made possible for us with the Father. You can't have this closeness with God without the cross. We're going to talk more about that next Sunday. So I want you to list the things that you need to give up ownership of. Write a brief prayer of surrender and leave it at the foot of the cross on your way out. All this is meant to bring us into a closer, more intimate relationship with God the Father, the relationship and closeness that is the ancient path. Let's take a couple minutes and pray together now. Will you pray with me? Father, first of all, I just I want to thank you for the incredible reality that you are Jehovah Jireh, you are the provider. Not just one of the providers, not the best provider. You are the provider in all that we have. All that we have comes from you and belongs to you. And I pray, Father, that you would help us get there in our perspective, in the way we view things, that you would help us to get there in our relationship with you to where on that path, it's just me and you. It's just us and you. And we fully acknowledge that our hands are empty. We do not have possessions. We have the things that you've provided for our sustenance, for our well-being, the opportunities that you've provided for us to express your image in us to others. You've provided those things, but they don't belong to us. I pray that you would bring us to that point where on the path there is only you and me, where we can enjoy that closeness of a relationship in which I depend on you for absolutely everything in my life. You are our creator. We don't exist outside of you. You're the one that created us. You're the one that gave us life. And you gave us that life so that we could experience and enjoy that relationship with you, your presence for all of eternity. us to live as your children as if eternity has already started for us to set aside anything that's keeping us from that perspective to set aside anything that is making us think that we live now without you and will live with you for all of eternity once we die help us to get past that as quickly as possible and to embrace the truth that we have been given by you eternal life and that life has already begun and now Lord as we have the opportunity to just renounce the things that we have a tendency to claim too much ownership of just meet us there and draw us close we want to know you more we want to know you as our provider 
and entrust you with all that you've given us, declaring your ownership of it, our part in it, but our dependence on you for all of it. Thank you for being generous and loving with us. We just give ourselves to you again this morning and ask for your will to be done in our lives. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, your son, the one who made it possible for us to have this relationship with you. We pray this in his name. Amen.